How many believe that? How many believe that God is a divine blesser? That God's got you on his mind this morning. Psalms 50, verse 15 is the only passage I'm gonna be taking today, but we're gonna be reading a lot of scripture. If you wanna turn to Psalms 18, I believe it is, you might wanna have your Bibles there. But Psalms 50 is where we're going to take our text from. I I tried to call the media early, we had a glitch there, but maybe they'll get it on the screen. Psalms 50, verse 15 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. Matter of fact, I've used this passage of scripture, I've quoted it many, many, many times because the Lord has spoken to me out of this scripture on numerous times in my pastoring. Many, many, many different times when I found myself in situations, the Lord would bring this scripture to my mind and he would minister to me. Today, I wanna preach to you on a very simple, basic sermon that the Lord's just kind of put into my heart and in our text, we see a problem, a promise, and a praise. Say those three words with me, problem, a promise, promise and a praise. And sometimes we really don't think that these words really go together, especially words like problem and praise. However, in the word of God, you're gonna find in the midst of problems, there's always a demand scripturally to praise the Lord. Just like in the book of Acts chapter 16, when we see Paul and Silas being thrown into the prison and they've been beaten and they've been whipped and they've been persecuted for the cause of Christ and their hands were in shackles and their feet were in chains and bondages and they threw him in the inner prison and shut the door. But at the midnight hour, their darkest hour, Paul says, Silas, it's time for us to sing. They whipped up an old hymnal of some kind of their day and they begin to sing and they begin to praise God and the scripture says that God sent an earthquake and the chains fell off their hands, the chains fell off their feet and the doors swung open wide and they were set free because of their praise in the midst of their problem. But the first thing that the writer of this psalm acknowledges is he acknowledges that there's going to be times of trouble. He wrote the words of God's expression when he said call upon me in the day and he uses that word trouble. He acknowledges that there will be trouble, there will be days of trouble, there will be seasons of trouble and there will be diversity of trouble. Sometimes the trouble can last a period of a, a long period of time and sometimes maybe it will just last for a moment. But nevertheless trouble is a way of life. Matter of fact, problems and trouble comes because of promise. How many knows that every single one of you here today have a promise hanging over your head? Matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, the Bible says, God says, I know my thoughts towards you, saith the Lord, that they are thoughts of good and not evil that you would have an expected end. That God's got a predestined plan for every single one of you and his thoughts upon you are good. Matter of fact, James says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights where there's neither shadow, uh, verbalness to shadow or turning. That God loves us so much that he cannot even turn from wanting to do good things for his people. Matter of fact, Psalms tells us in the book of Psalms chapter 34, it tells us that God is a sun and shield. And you know what it says? And God will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. John said this about us. He said that God 
God was willing that, that that we would prosper and be in good health even as our souls prosper. How many knows that God loves you? How many knows that God's got you in his heart? How many knows that you got God's attention, that he's interested in you and that he loves you here this morning? If you believe that, give the Lord an applause of his banner of love over your life. Amen? But because of a promise, the devil fights us. The devil does everything that he can to try to stop that promise from happening. And that's the reason a lot of times we have a lot of problems, is the devil tries to mess up God's agenda for your life. And another reason we have problems is sometimes because we get full of apathy and we get full of slothfulness and and God has to cause trouble to come along to stir our nest as a rod of correction in order to push us and to propel us into the desert destiny that he has set before us. But there are many different meanings to the word of the word trouble because trouble can come in many different forms and in different way a different variety of ways. First of all, it can be inward trouble of the soulless realm. There are more emotional wounds than any other kinds of wounds. And let me tell you they're serious. Those wounds of depression and scars of oppression and things that's happened to us and we become mostly mostly and as a result of it, we cannot live a whole free life. And then, of course, there is the outward realm of trouble that is in the physical. It's, a, it's against the natural body itself, uh, diseases and afflictions and, 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 and you know, arthritis and, and pains and anguish and those kinds of things. But West, Webster defines trouble as worry, distress, grief, afflictions, such as loss of health, wealth, or the loss of a dear loved one. He goes on and says, it's a pathological condition such as heart trouble, a troubled emotion, adversity, disturbance, molestation, troublesome. And he just keeps mentioning names and uh, words after words after words like that. Trouble is real. Trouble invades our lives because we live in a troublesome world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. And as a result of it, it's nothing but trouble. Look around. There's trouble everywhere right now, even in our world. There's heartache, there's fear, there's worry, there's loss, there's pain, there's injustices, there's adversaries, there's diseases, there's sicknesses, there's persecution, there's trials, there's tests, there's temptations, there's storms. How many words can we describe that says that there is true trouble in the world that we live in? Some of the greatest men in the scripture face trouble. Abraham faced famine. Joseph faced injustices of his brother. Daniel faced the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fiery furnace. Paul faced shipwreck, serpent bite, imprisonments, beatings, scourgings. The New Testament church faced heavy, heavy persecution. And we could go on and on and on. You cannot read of the faithful without reading of their tests, their storms, their trials, and them facing trouble. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and it's full of trouble. Go to, jo- uh, go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and see See the list of the faithful and what they endured and it will give you an in-detailed list of nothing but trouble that they had to endure. David acknowledged in Psalms 34 and 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. David acknowledged that trouble even comes by the way of the righteous because it rains upon the just and the unjust alike. It does not take an unjust man to find himself facing trouble. Can I have an amen? Even the righteous face trouble. 
turmoil, not to cause us to fret or to fear, but Jesus even said that in the last day, troublesome times would actually even increase. Listen to what he said in Mark chapter 13, verse eight. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be earthquakes in divers places and there shall be famines and troubles. And then he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Paul affirmed that in the last days that troubles would accelerate when he said in the book of 1 Timothy 4 and 1, know this also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come. That word perilous does mean dangerous, hideous, hard times is going to come. That's a prophetic word by Jesus Christ himself in Mark and it's a prophetic word by Paul here in the book of 1 Timothy that in these last days you're going to see an acceleration of troublesome times. I don't think that I have to be repetitious here today and try to paint you a picture to get you to be convinced that we are facing trouble. I think that we can all relate and see that trouble is everywhere even as I speak right now. Our schools are in trouble. Our kids are in trouble. Our homes are in trouble. Marriages are in trouble. Families are in trouble. Cities are in trouble. Look at the cities being burned down. and Look at the things that's going on in our country. Our communities are in trouble. Our nation is in trouble. Our world is in trouble, but but really, even the church world is in trouble. Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. And truly, this is a sign of the last days that you and I live in. I think that we can all relate that David, what David penned in Psalms 3 and 1 when he said, Lord, how are they that, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Here David is asking God, Lord, how or why has trouble increased against my life? Have you ever thought about asking God that question? Here's a man after God's own heart and he goes before the Lord and he says, I want to know something, God. Why and how has the trouble increased in my life? Why are you allowing this to happen? What's going on here? I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to do everything that I can to be a righteous king and yet everywhere I turn, I find that trouble is increasing against me. David begins to take an account of his trouble and he says, many are they that rise up against me. David sees and experiences the overwhelming flood of trouble that seems to be coming against him and he's bringing his petition before God. I can testify that in the last 35 years of pastoring this church, I have never experienced the level of trouble that the people of God are facing here at the palace and I've never seen the things that they are experiencing today before. I have never witnessed such an onslaught of trouble and affliction and trial like is going on throughout this body. Matter of fact, in 35 years, we have went through a lot. I can go back and give you testimony after testimony after testimony of the things that God has brought us through, but when my eyes are open and we see how many people are going through the things that they're going through now, it is not natural. It is not It is not just something that takes place. It is in a hideous attack of the enemy and the enemy is trying to kill, to steal and destroy but I've got some good news for you today. Jesus said I have come to give you life and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. Can I have an amen?
Some of the problems that we see is self-afflicted, no doubt about it. But much of what's taking place is not caused by wrong decisions or consequences of the flesh. Some of it is, but it's just a flood of trouble that's being poured out upon God's people in these last days to try to stop the end time move of God and the promise that God's got upon the kingdom of the Lord. And I want to tell you, revival's coming whether the devil likes it or not. Awakening's about to happen. The spirit of the Lord's about to rise up and though the enemy come in like a flood, God's about to raise up a standard against it. We're going to go into the destiny of the Lord. We're going to be all that God's called us to be. And we're going to do all that God's called us to do. And we're going to see the marvelous reward of the Lord. We're going to see the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? I'm about to preach. But it just seemed like there's a flood of trouble that's being poured out upon our people. It used to be that a man or a woman would overcome one thing and then they would, over a period of time, rest and then something else would creep up. But now we're faced with multiple things all at the same time before they ever overcome their first little obstacle. It seems like other obstacles just keep crashing in on them. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he said that in the last days you're going to find yourself in heaviness due to manifold, multiple temptations. In other words, it's not just going to be one little thing that attacks you. It'll be a, a, a variety of things. It'll be spiritual, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. Every time you turn around, it'll be one fight right after another. I've been talking to people all throughout this congregation. They said, we don't understand. Where we are facing this and it seems like that we're trying to get our heads above the water and then this hits us and then this hits us and then this hits us and it just seems like that all they're doing is barely hanging on and surviving. And the question is, where is God at? The question is, why does this thing have to happen? The question is, when is it going to stop? The question is, how long? How long? It's kind of like David. David couldn't understand what was going on in his life. And this is where many of you are at today in your life. Like that of David, you're asking how is it that all of my troubles seem to increase? There's the, the more I fight, the worse things seem to get. The more I try to express faith, the more I'm pushed back. The more I try to get up, the more I'm pushed down. How many have ever faced those kinds of situations? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. We all have. However, I hear the words of Jesus in John 14 and 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus isn't telling you to ignore your problems. Now, this is where the Holy Spirit really wants to get really serious with somebody. I feel it in my spirit. Did you know that God has set some people up here today to be totally delivered by the power of Jesus Christ? That God has done spoken to me and he said, I brought people into the service that is sick and afflicted and downcasted and sinful, all kinds of different kinds of things. And God says, I want to loose them of their bondages today. I have a design, divine plan. I have a purpose for this service. You're not here by chance. You're not here by coincidence. You're not just stumbling in here. You're here by divine appointment and God's about to rock your world and the things that have held you captive. You're fixing to be free in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Free. But Jesus isn't telling you to deny or to ignore your problems. Denial is not faith. Ignoring problems does not cause them to go away as if they never happen. Positive confession or positive thinking is not faith. 
Faith produces positive thinking, but positive thinking alone is not faith. It's what we call secular humanism, man attempting to overcome by just mind control. Well, if I can just push it back, if I can just think positive, uh, you know, and, and there, there's a whole doctrine out there. Oh, Robert Schuler used to preach it all of the time, and it was all about positive thinking. Well, positive thinking is important, and it does come by, by the way of faith as your thought pattern is changed by the power of God, but positive thinking by itself, even though there's power in it, yet it does not do away with what's coming against you. Faith produces that positive thinking, but positive thinking alone cannot change your circumstance. There are all kinds of people that are walking around confessing, holding a positive attitude, ignoring their problem as if it does not exist, and yet the most of the time they're consumed. They'll be running 105 fever and they'll be saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, and they think if they just keep confessing they're not sick, that the confession of their faith in not being sick will heal them. It will not heal them because I want to explain something to you. Jesus does not tell you to ignore your problems as if they do not exist, but what he does do, he directs his, your attention to himself. Now notice this. He said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Amen? The root of faith, the seed of faith, lies not in the thought itself, but it lies in the person, the person of Jesus Christ. This is when you begin to believe upon him, and then as you confess him, and as you believe upon his power, and you believe upon his provision, he, you believe upon his love over you, then it changes your thought, and your thought pattern then becomes positive. This is why that God said in our text, call upon me in the day of trouble. The ability to overcome does not lie within ourselves. It lies in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? We got to get back to preaching Jesus. 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 A simple basic message. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the world. Jesus is the answer to your dilemma. Jesus is the answer to your problem. Jesus is the answer to your trouble. Jesus is the answer to your disease. Jesus. 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 Can I have an amen? Well, glory. I'm isn't it simple? Why do we try to make it so hard? Why do we think we got to earn it or work it or do something to earn favor with the Lord? I tell you, Jesus has found the favor favor for us for, with our God. And our favor is of the Lord. And when I accept Jesus as Lord, his favor becomes my favor. And God grants my petition as a result of what Jesus did and not what I do. It's Jesus. Amen. There's a divine invitation for all of us to come to Christ in the day of our trouble. First Peter 5 and 7 says, and casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Psalms 84 and 11, I done quoted it, but I love this. God is a son and a shield and God will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. Amen? That God wants to give you good things. God's got you in his mind. God, you're, the intent of God is to bless you. Most people whine about their problems, gripe about their situations, fear their circumstances, lay around and fret and worry and get depressed, but they do very little praying in the time of trouble. Can I remind us here today that prayer still works? That's why that Paul exhorts us in the book of Philippians 4 and 6, be careful or anxious about nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Can I remind us here today that prayer is the most important thing that we can do during the time of our trials. You cannot and will not overcome trouble without praying. Ignoring it, trying to outlast it, trying to survive it will not give you the victory over your trouble because your troubles will soon overtake you and overwhelm you. James says you have not because you ask not. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 9 says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. To he that seeketh, findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be open to you. I want to tell you, you'll never find if you never seek. And can I ask you that? I want to tell you that prayer opens doors that no man can open, and prayer shuts doors that no man can shut. Can I tell you that when we begin to petition God, that God then begins to move on our behalf, and it is him that makes the difference. Amen? Sometimes trouble is designed to get us to cry out because people do very little praying, not, not only in the times of trouble, but when the times of blessings on, they do no praying whatsoever. God does nothing but to the answer a prayer. A prayerless soul is a Christless soul. It was Andrew Bonner that said in 1853, God likes to see his people shut up to this, that there is no hope but in prayer. Herein lies the church's power against the world. He said the power that's going to uphold against the world is the people that know how to pray. Matter of fact, in the early days of my ministry over on Ninth and Cedar, when we first went there, I want to tell you, we had to pray everything in. We had to pray the people in. We had to pray the finances in. We had to pray the furniture in. We had to pray everything in. There was nothing there except a hall. And let me tell you, folks, when you get into those kinds of conditions and all you can do is say, this is beyond my control. It's beyond my ability. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to do anything about this. It's then that you're driven to prayer and it's then you've got to believe in God for your help because only in him can impossibilities be brought possible. Only in him can things that is absolutely going to not happen unless he makes it happen. I want to tell you, but with God, all things are possible to them that believe. Can I have an amen? Spurgeon wrote, the condition of the common uh, the, the condition of the church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is a grace meter, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God is near a church, it's praying, and if, it's, and if he be not there, one of the first tokens of it is his absence. One of the tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. In other words, what he's saying, if there's a presence of God in the church, somebody's praying, and if he's void, it's because someone's not praying. Amen? Listen to Andrew Murray. He said, God's intense longing to bless. Hold it. God has an intense longing to bless. He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Amen? Why can't we believe that? That God loves us so much he wants to bless us. God's intense longing to bless, he says, seems to be graciously limited by his dependence upon intercession. I want to say it again. Stop. Listen to this. God's intense longing to bless seems to be graciously limited by his dependence upon intercession. God regards intercession as the highest expression of his people's readiness to receive and yield themselves wholly to the working of his almighty power. Amen? And when I begin to think, why is we having lack? It's because we're not believing. 
It's because we're not asking. Look at what Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest which is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. We, according to this scripture, can obtain mercy and find help in our time of need only when we approach the throne of God boldly. Instead of letting troubles trouble you, take them to Jesus. Isn't that a simple sermon? It's like I'm, I'm a preaching a first grade sermon is, if you've got a trial, take it to Jesus. If you've got a trouble, take it to Jesus. Lay down your heavy burden, no labor, bring it to Jesus. Amen? Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Andrew Murray stated, the power of prayer rests in the faith that God hears it. And the moment I'm assured that God hears it, I feel drawn to pray and to persevere in prayer. But the biggest reason that people don't pray is that they have lost their faith that God will answer when they do pray. And I got to thinking about that. If you really believe that you could ask anything of God today and it would happen, nothing would stop you from asking. And the only thing that's gonna keep you from asking is because you don't believe that God will really do it for you. Amen? So when you really believe that God is the source of all ability and that his banner over you is love, and that he wants to intensely bless you, he can't even turn from wanting to bless you, he will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly, that you are gonna then begin to say, hey, this stuff is for me, and the gates of hell cannot stop you from petitioning the Lord. Can I have an amen? But in the face of problems, there's a promise. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and what do he say? I will deliver you. Ha. God promises to deliver. How many believes he'll deliver? Now, those of us that are not going through anything, it's easy to say that, but when your back's against the wall and you've tried everything and you've been wallering this thing for six months, do you really believe that God's a deliverer? Amen? Did you know that God is a delivering God? God heard the children of Israel in Egypt. He delivered them through the wilderness. He split the Red Sea. He led, the, led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He caused the water to come out of a rock. He caused quail to fly in. He caused a manna to fall out of the sky. He caused wa water to come out of a smitten rock. He caused their clothes to last where they wouldn't wear out. He drowned the most powerful military force on the face of the earth and the sea. I want to tell you, you could go on and on and on of all the different things that God's done for his people, but our God is a deliverer, but however, he delivered the children of Israel only on the consensus that he heard their cry. They prayed. When Peter and them was out on the storm and they were afraid and they were fearful, here come Jesus walking on the water and they thought that he was a ghost. And the Bible says, and they cried out. And it was then that Jesus then spared them and revealed himself to them. But the Bible says that if, he had, if they had not cried out, Jesus would have passed them by. How many of us are not getting answers to our dilemmas because we're never petitioning God about it? We're never praying. We're never really, we're just trying to ignore it. We're trying to fight it. We're rebuking it. Uh, we're, 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 we're confessing things against it. We're, we're believing those things that are not as though they were. We're doing all of those principles. But the truth of the matter is that true deliverance comes not through the acts of all of that stuff. It comes through the person of Jesus Christ. He may lead you to do some of them things, but Jesus is the deliverer. Folks, God is a very present help in the time of need. David understood this when he wrote in Psalms 116, verse one through nine. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. 
because he has inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death can pass me, he said. And the pains of hell got a hold of me. Hell got a hold of me, he said. I found trouble. I found sorrow, he said. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, beseech, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. And then he said, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our Lord is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O so he says, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. You know what he's saying? I can return back to my rest because I cried out and beseeched the Lord and he dealt with me and now I can return back to rest. And then he goes, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And when I looked at that, the Holy Spirit said, look at those three things that I delivered him from. First of all, he delivered him from his soul from death. Every emotional realm, the soulless realm is the emotional realm. Every wounded emotion you have, God can deliver you from it. You do not have to be fearful. You don't have to be doubtful. You don't have to sit around in fear. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be oppressed. You don't have to sit around and and shred yourself and worry and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. God heals the wounded emotions. Can I have an amen? And then he said, he delivered my eyes from tears. You don't have to lose vision. You can see beyond the dilemma and see the deliverance. You can see beyond the problem and see the promise. I'm here to tell you God wants to give vision of hope and vision of inspiration and vision of victory to the church. And then he delivered my feet from Paul. You don't have to fall. He'll establish your goings. He'll establish your walk. He said, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I love this last verse. He said, I'm gonna walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The blessing that is promised to me is not while I sleep in death in eternity, but while I live in the flesh, I receive my promise. Amen? It's not in the here and now. In other words, David in this psalm says, I got my life back. Amen? He wrote again in Psalms 138, verse seven and eight. You would think David, man, look at the problems he had and listen to every time he goes through different kinds of problems. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, there he is. Here's a different scenario altogether. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Though thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. In other words, I'm not so, he's learned some things. I'm not so learned to what's, I'm not so concerned about what's coming against me. The Lord will perfect that. The Lord will take care of that. He's going to save me by his right hand. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on. He says, thy mercy, O Lord, endure forever. Forsake not the works of your hands. In other words, he's saying, I am not worried about what kind of troubles coming my way because the Lord will not forsake the work of his own hands. And that which I am concerned about, he'll perfect it. I'm going to rest in the mercifulness of God. Listen to the songs that were sung and the writings that David wrote of the songs. Listen to them. Psalms 127 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 37 verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He, hears their, he is their strength in the time of trouble. Listen to Psalms 27 and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? 
Listen to Psalms 91 verse three. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Listen to Psalms 119 verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Listen to Psalms 144 verse two. God is my goodness. He's my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield. In him I put my trust. Who subdueth my enemies underneath me? Listen to Psalms 91, verse 12, speaking of the angels of the Lord. They shall bear thee up in thy hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. You can go on and on and on. These are songs that David and them sing, reminding themselves about the faithfulness and the power of God to deliver. Can I have an amen? I'm gonna do something I usually don't do. This is not my style of preaching, but I wanna read a lot of scripture right here just to read it to you. Let the word of God speak for itself because that word of God will not go out void and that which it was sent to do, it'll do. Listen to Psalms 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. He's my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. I faced fear. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death, they even prevented me from doing some of the things I wanted to do, he says. In my distress, however, I called upon the Lord and I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him even unto his ears. Then the earth shook, and the earth trembled. The foundation also, and the hills moved, and they were shaken because he was wroth. Now, I want to stop right there. I'd like to preach every one of these points. But here's what David's saying. I was in distress. All hell come against me. I was concerned. There was things that I wanted to do that I was prevented in doing. He said, all hell said, but I called upon the Lord. And when I called upon the Lord, he heard me out of his temple. He heard what I had to say. And then he gave ear, he gave voice, he let my voice come to his ear. He heard my prayer. Then the earth literally shook and the earth literally trembled. The foundations of the earth also, the hills were moved and they were shaken because when I told him what was going on, he became wroth. He got mad at what was going on against me. Can I have an amen? Then there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth, it devoured. Coals were kindled by. He said, in other words, when he got done, by the time he spoke, he said, smoke come out of his nostrils, fire came out of his mouth, and the fire was so hot that when it left, it left coals. Amen? He said he bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. All of the darknesses against David, when God came down, he was superior and all of the darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherubim and did fly. Yeah, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness, at his brightness, that was before him, his thick clouds passed and there were hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire again. Yea, he sent out his arrows, scattered them, and shot out lightnings, and he discomforted them. Then the channels of the waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent me above. 
He took me. He drew me out of many waters. What did he do? David said, he brought me up. Above, he took him, me with him, and he drew me out to many waters, times of refreshing. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, and for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He enlarged my feet. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Give the Lord praise. He delights in you today. I'm going to skip about 10 verses or so. Then he starts in verse 27. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. In other words, he's going to show me a way through it. For by thee I have ran through a troop, and by my God I've leaped over a wall. <laughs> As for God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those who trust in him. For who is God, save the Lord? Or who is our rock except our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my ways perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me on high places. He teacheth my hands to war so the bow of steel is broken by my arms. Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand has holden me up and thy gentleness has made me great. Thou has enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies. I have overtaken them. Neither did I turn again until they were completely consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise again. They are fallen under my feet. Amen. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. See, those that rose up against me, you put them under my feet. Thou hast given me the necks of my enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them. Even unto you they cried, but you answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as dirt within the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves to me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of the close places. The Lord liveth. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me and sueth the, the people underneath me. He delighteth me from my enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. I'll sing praises unto thy name. And this is the testimony of David. Great deliverance giveth he to his king and showed mercy unto his anointed. To David and his seed forevermore. Gracious, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I tell you, our God is a delivering God. Our God is a delivering God. Our God is a delivering God. I'm going to close here because I feel like I need to, and I got a lot more to preach. Not only is there a problem, not only is there tr trouble, a problem. And not only is there a promise, but there's a praise that we got to get out. Amen? 
David began to write these songs in the midst of his dilemma, in the midst of his trial. He believed upon God and he prayed and he believed and then he praised him in advance before it ever happened. Can I have an amen? There's some of you here today that God just simply wants you to come up and present your case before God. Is there a time that after you present yourself, then you, God puts you in the fact of starting confessing the things that are not as though they were? Yes. But there's got to be a time that you submit what kind of a problem you have and openly confess it to God. There is a teaching that will tell you that if you confess anything negative to God, it's an expression of your doubt. So don't, don't be confessing. All, you know, that ain't what Jesus taught. There was a blind man. Jesus prayed for him. And then he said, what do you see? And he said, well, I see men walking around that looks like trees. In other words, he wasn't fully healed after Jesus prayed the first time. Jesus didn't say, oh, don't you confess that. Oh, that's negative. What are you doing? He confessed his problem. My eyesight ain't completely 20-20 yet. You've helped it. It's progressive. I see better than what I once seen, but I'm still not healed. Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't jump on his case. Jesus didn't tell him, quit saying that negative out of your mouth. And Jesus then prayed a second time. And then he says, what do you see? He says, I see all men clearly. I've been healed. I've been touched. Why? Because he didn't ignore his problem. He went like an ostrich that went and stuck his head in the sand, hoping that no one would see him. Amen? Amen. Ignoring it, just trying to outlast it. It's nothing but secular humanism, us taking, trying to take control and make things happen on our own. God wants you to bring every care that you have, place it at his feet this morning, say, this is my dilemma, this is my problem, this is what I'm going through. I ask you to heal it, I ask you to deliver it, I ask you to touch it, I ask you whatever, and then say, now God, I praise you and I magnify you. You're the horn of my salvation. You're my buckler, you're my shield, you're my high tower, and you and you alone do I trust. God, you are my deliverer. Can I have an amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I don't want you to hesitate. If you hesitate or balk, I just sense like it ain't going to happen. I want somebody to dare believe, God, I've got a dilemma. I've got a problem. I've got a situation. I want you to come running to this altar. I want you to present it before God and say, God, I need you to take care of this. I need you to answer this petition this morning. The brothers and the sisters are going to gather around you, and we're going to believe God, and nothing's impossible to them that believe, and God's about to turn somebody's dilemma into trouble. Fire up!